Lessons Lived podcast, hosted by Michael Puente. What would you teach the world? Welcome to the Lessons Lived podcast. I'm here with Elena Houdan, and she's going to talk to us about two lessons. First lesson is it's never too late unless you're in the casket. And the second lesson is to take yourself into your own hands. I've known Elena for about seven years. She's got a very interesting background. So why don't we start with, tell us who you are. I'm a coach at San Francisco CrossFit. I am also a body worker, a healer, or human improver. Originally, I'm from the former Soviet Union. I came to the United States at the age of 28 and pretty much had to start on the bottom as I'm pretty sure every non-English speaking immigrant has. And so dishwasher, night housekeeper in the hotel. As uh, I started to learn English, uh, I went to become a cook in one restaurant and waitress in another restaurant. Mm -hmm. Moved to San Diego, again, worked in restaurants, banquets, and finally I felt comfortable with my English. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to work in the restaurants and I thought that I had something more to offer sure. to the society and I wanted to go to school and so I went to Orange Coast Community College. Okay. And how old were you when this was uh, going? When I started college it was 1996. 1996. So at that point I was 36 years old. 36 years old. So. Yes. Twice as old as most people start college. Yes, so when I transferred to UC Berkeley after I uh, did my two years at community college, I was basically taking classes with uh, people who were young enough to be my kids. <laughs> so graduated from UC Berkeley at 41 in 2001. Graduated with the degree in political economies of industrial societies. Mm. And 9 um, 11 happened, there were no jobs. And a friend of mine worked at Whole Foods Market and she passed my resume to the Whole Foods Market regional office in Emerville. Sure. And I applied for an administrative assistant job. But after having an interview with the controller and assistant controller, they actually offered me a high level position. Oh, and it great. was construction accountant and analyst. And so I was there for five years and it just, I didn't like to work in front of the computer and decided that, hey, I've done all this work in banquets and restaurants. Why don't I get I join this executive truck and go back to the floor in the store mm -hmm. and sort of go on a track on a, this executive truck. And then after five months, I just said to myself, hey, I spent all this money to go to, go to school and go to school. And here I am where I was 10 years ago. Right. You're bagging groceries with it now, but with a uh, UC Berkeley degree. Yeah. And so so I went ahead and um, found a job, and it was one of the biotech companies in the Bay Area, and worked there for five years. And that was a busy time in that company, so I was working very, very long hours. Mm. And as a result, I got the bursitis. Who would know that sitting is not good for you? You got bursitis from sitting too long? From sitting too long. You get up, it's usually when people get up from prolonged sitting, they can't straighten up. So that happened to me. And it's just extremely painful condition. Hmm. So I started uh, physical therapy and exhausted all my physical therapy appointment, got cortisone shot. And um, it's sort of cortisone shot wore off, pain came back. No hmm. physical therapy appointments. Then I realized that, hey, I'm from the former Soviet Union, so uh, it's time for me to go and find a way how I can take myself into my own hands mm -hmm. and resolve this issue. So you didn't have any more th physical therapy. You're still in pain and you're, I got to do something more to solve this problem because you're still in a lot of pain from... Yes, and in the Soviet Union, that's normal for people. Hey, you go to the hospital and they were saying, you just get a 
get out of the hospital because they're going to kill you there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so I started to search for the solutions for my uh, pain. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found this website, mobilitywad.com. Okay. Kelly Starrett. And he said, hey, you have pain in your hips. Start squatting. Boom. I can't squat. You can't squat. I can't. I can't. Okay. It's pain. I can't squat. I can go very low. Just every night, hey, 10 minutes a day, I started to just lower myself down and try to move my hips and finally started to feel better. Hmm. And it's like, hey, what's going on? I got to check out what who this guy is. Mm -hmm. And so he was or happened to be the owner of San Francisco CrossFit. Mm -hmm. So I decided to find San Francisco CrossFit. And driving around sports basement, can't find San Francisco CrossFit. Anyway, finally I got there and it's a six class uh, introductory course okay. for you to join the class. I took the first class, came home and tell my partner, this is what I want to do for a living. So you took one CrossFit class and decided UC Berkeley, whatever, I'm going to be a CrossFit coach. I want to be a CrossFit coach. First class, CrossFit first, class. First class. I just love Kelly's mobility. I couldn't get enough of it. And if you think about it... You mean it, how it teaches mobility? He, he taught mobility, yeah. He was teaching mobility every Thursday night. Remember beer and mobility. We okay. would sit on the, on the boxes. And so I took this class, this introductory course, did a little bit of a CrossFit, I think for four or five months, and then I went ahead and got my uh, coaching certificate. And so from... Being a financial analyst and a biotech company, I am switching to becoming a CrossFit coach. Complete switching career. Complete switching career. So I didn't want to go to the office. And you're just, feeling healthier. Oh, I'm feeling good. It's just I was so passionate about what Kelly was doing. And it coincides with Kelly's motto for every human being should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. Coincide with the Russian saying, mm -hmm. take yourself into your own hands. Mm. And so Russians actually add, Pushkin is not going to do it for you. Pushkin is a famous, famous uh, Russian poet, and so everything is Pushkin huh. everywhere. If you go ever go to Russia, it's a Pushkin street, it's a Pushkin square, it's mm. a Push Pushkin station. Even my English-speaking partner said, hey, everything is Pushkin. Pushkin is not going to do it for you. And so she got it to it just because she was studying language so much Pushkin. So Pushkin is not going to do it for you. You so take yourself to, into your own hands. Take yourself into your own hands. And that resonated very much with uh, with Kelly saying that is um, that every human being has to you know, should be able should to be able perform to... perform basic maintenance on themselves. Right. And so I started to perform basic maintenance on myself. And six months in, I'm applying for the internship, and. My enthusiasm for uh, Kelly's work, is, I think, not I think, landed me an internship at San Francisco CrossFit. So by then, I'm 52 years old. In the Soviet Union, when you're 50, 52, you're ready to retire. And so I'm at 52 starting a new career. Wow. I go to Russia and everybody, wow. <laughs> they're saying, wow, here they're getting ready to retire, and I'm dreaming about new career. Right. Uh, six months into the internship, I get a job right. at San Francisco CrossFit. And Kelly and Juliet, Juliet actually said that their hiring of me as a CrossFit coach at San Francisco CrossFit was the biggest gamble of their career. Mm. Because here I am, don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was an intern uh, and I learned everything, but I couldn't get enough of Kelly. I learned everything that he was teaching. But as a as an athlete, as a coach, I wasn't there because my body was broken. Like, hey, 52, how old are you? 
I'm 46. 46. It's just wait another six years. <laughs> and you were exercising. So you were taking care of yourself. And by 52, you'd be in an amazing shape. But if you look at people who are in pain at 52, it's like, well, are you going to be coach? Yes. Right. So I got the job. So I just want to bring in how this applies to your to your other lesson. Because what, what you're saying is it's never too late unless you're in the casket. You're far from being in the casket and you started a whole new career at 52 after starting a whole new life and you're yes. 30, 36 or something like that. And after having moved, you know, uh, this is like your fourth life now, after having moved from the Soviet Union yeah. to the United States. So that's one change, continuously remake, remaking yourself. Remaking so it's never too late. Never too late, never too late. It's like whatever it is, people are afraid to make a first step because there's a security of job. Uh, we have a guy in the CrossFit who is talking right now, oh, I'm afraid to quit the job and mm. start something else, so I don't know what to right. do. It's never too late. You can't just limit yourself and die inside because you have to do something. Mm. It's like what you have to do is listen to your heart. Did you feel at any of these times uh, that you felt like you had a safety net? Oh, absolutely. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, that you felt like, let's say, the CrossFit thing didn't work out. Were you, were, were you feeling that you could go back to, to being a financial analyst? And oh, so absolutely, you... absolutely. So, uh, I mean, I've been out of it now for seven years. I still get emails from Robert Half and oh, okay. know, there are other jobs available. So, luckily, I was in the field where I can go. And all of us, it doesn't matter mm. what you do. Right. You're a baker, you know, you can step away from it. And if it doesn't, something doesn't work, you know, you're, that you're a good baker, mm -hmm. you can go back to that. Right. But Kelly noticed that... I was putting my hands on people. Mm. And ever since I remember myself, since I was a little girl, I would look at people and you're in pain and I knew that if I put my hands on you, I would help you. I don't know where it came from, but my niece told me that, hey, remember your papa, so your grandfather was doing the same thing. So at 55, when he retired, he noticed that there was some special abilities in mm -hmm. his hands and he started to treat the na uh, our neighbors mm -hmm. in uh, Yalta. And so I would put my hands on uh, on the clients in the gym and Kelly says, Elena, you can't do it in, this, uh, in America. You can't right? touch people. You can't touch people. You have to go and get a license to touch. So about a year and a half, in my being a coach at San Francisco CrossFit, I finally decided to go and uh, follow Kelly's advice and go to massage school and get my license to touch. So I became a massage therapist. Mm. And um, I thought that this is not what I want to do. There is something else. So luckily, uh, right my last two courses in massage school were orthobionomy courses. Mm. And um, orthobionomy is a osteopathic, um, it's a body work that is based on osteopathic principles. We work with uh, body reflexes to heal itself. Mm. So we as human beings basically can heal ourselves. Okay. And so an orthobionomy help you. We hold you, we give you space to heal yourself, and also we move joints and bones. So I took one class, I took another class, and I just loved it. Hmm. And so I came home and told my partner, yes, I just became a massage therapist, but I don't think I want to do that. I think I want to learn more about orthobionomy and, and this, become... This is now the third conversation with your, <laughs> with your, with your, with your, uh, with your partner in three years versus... I'm done with the pharmaceutical company. I'm gonna be a CrossFit coach. Then I'm going to massage school. Now orthobiotic. I'm still I'm still CrossFit right, coach. Right. But now I have a license to touch my clients. Right. So now I incorporate my body work techniques mm -hmm. uh, into training. 
it's a combination. Hey, I work on you or you work out mm-hmm. and I look at your movement and I just correct your movement with the body work. So became autobiography practitioner and uh, in autobiography there are different phases and some of the phases energy work and energy work in the different phases, four, five and six. And so of uh, five, six, and seven. And it's gentle energetic techniques where I actually move your body and I touch you. And then advanced energy techniques when I move energy and I don't touch you. Mm -hmm. And then distant healing. And I was just fascinated with energy work because I think that this is what, and I remember this is what I wanted to learn while I was in the Soviet Union, but Mm. Soviet government, communist government, didn't want anybody to improve their uh, energy working abilities, so you don't F up the communist government. And so I started to look into what, what else I can learn in energy. So autobiography is done, I got to go and become a Reiki practitioner. Okay. Luckily, it's just two, two, two levels. CrossFit, to massage therapy, to orthobiotomy, and then now you're going to be a Reiki, Reiki practitioner. practitioner. Okay, go for it. Oh, and for autobiography, I have to travel around the country because okay. there is no actual, uh, right now, there is a school in uh, Colorado, but there is no here. You can't, you just go, have to go to individual instructors and it's, it's quite expensive. But again, my partner, I'm just blessed. Um, supporting in whatever it is I want to do. Right. So, energy work, I was trying to take a lot of energy classes, just study, understand what it is. Mm-hmm. And it led me to exploring ayahuasca. Okay, ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. Which, so, for people who don't know, is a plant medicine from the Amazon. And it's a, a, a psychedelic brew. Yes. And so the reason I was interested in it, because I thought that my energy channels needed to be open and to mm. improve myself as a healer. Mm. I thought it was very important. I don't know where I got this idea, but mm-hmm. it's like, I, I think I have to do it. She so had a calling to ayahuasca and it was because you wanted to open up your energy channels. Yeah, yeah because I, I thought that as an energy healer, I still love to put my hands on the people and I think it's very important to do manual work. And so mm-hmm. in Russia, they would call me manualshik. So I'm somebody who works with my hands. It doesn't matter what I do. Body work or energy work, sure. I am treating you with my hands. So I'm a manual worker. So I went to one ayahuasca retreat uh, it's a two-day retreat, and I had a f- fantastic, absolutely fantastic trip, and it opened some channel- channels on me. Mm-hmm. And so I was just trying to figure out what is going on with me, and then I had this feeling I have to go and do it again. It opened some channels. Can you put into words what that well, means for you? I know that's super hard to yeah. say because most part of the psychedelic journey is the, the, the ephemeral quality of it where you cannot put things into words. But Well, I was taking all this energy class because, and now I know what it is, because I was trying to find somebody who will tell me what I'm doing. Mm. Okay. If you think about Reiki, if you think all other different energy techniques, energy is energy. Light is light. There is no bad energy. People are thinking there are dim energy, dim light and mm-hmm. bright light. But no, there is no bad energy and a good energy. There is an intention. Mm. So in ayahuasca, it's an intention. So I felt that I needed to open energy flow in me. So my intention for the ayahuasca trip was to achieve my highest potential as a healer. Okay. And that was a trip. And so I became this giant, giant snake with a diamond chest. Mm. Uh, my body was just 
made of all kinds of precious stone. And I had to leave the room because my heart was expanding and I thought the universe wasn't big enough to hold my heart. Mm. And so I got helpers who were holding space for me and they're just like, hey, hey, don't worry, the universe will expand to uh, allow your heart to expand. Mm. So my clients just noticed, noticed, everybody noticed the difference in my energy flow in my body. Mm. And so, again, it goes to that it's never too late to change. And I received a message from the ayahuasca that uh, I need to go and explore it more. That yes, I'm achieving my highest potential, but after going to the source, so one of my trip one when asked me to go to the source, and there I found the language. And so what happened is that trying to find somebody who will describe what is it that I'm doing with my manual work, mm. I went to this treatment, sound therapy. And uh, the sound therapy was based on listening to Mozart music and Gregorian chants in order to exercise the muscles in your ears. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that, hey, when you're in the womb, you hear just the high-pitched uh, sounds. And when we are born, we're exposed to all this not natural sounds. And so the guy who... It's not natural sounds, you mean non-organic sounds, sounds from cars driving around. Yes, the music, the booms. All the, the different sounds that are not sounds that you would normally find in nature. That's what yes. you Right now we're sitting and we're hearing the cars going by and the music, but we do not hear birds singing. Mm. Okay. And so it's a bird singing. Can we hear the fly flies by? Can we hear birds? No, because there are no such sounds in the city. So all we're exposed and now everybody's listening to the music with the earplugs mm. in their ears and it's, you know, just be around these guys who are talking like next to each other. You think that they're yelling to somebody who is uh, six blocks away. Right. And, uh, and so this guy was talking about uh, remembering that he was a twi- uh, womb twin survival. Mm-hmm. And so when he was in the womb, he remembers that there was a sister next to him for a few months. And then the sister was gone and he didn't want to go. Mm. And so it gave him post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. But when he said it, when he brought the womb, I remembered this feeling I had when I was a little child. And it was a fetal position. I would get in a fetal position and I just wanted to vibrate and I wanted to expand. And it was just such a happy feeling, but I never was able to tap into it. And so in the ayahuasca trip, that was my fourth trip. When I asked to uh, to go to the source, I had this feeling. So I went to the source and it was a bright light Mm. and I melted with it. And I had this feeling of melting, melting, and the feeling of being in the womb. Mm. And then I realized that's the feeling that I have to work with, with my clients Mm. of, okay, that was the happiest, happiest time of my life that I can remember. So identify the source of the energy that you use your magic hands to, to help people. You identified it and kind of, con- not concentrated it, but you by identifying it, now you can find it again quicker yes, and easier. And not, not only that, but what does it mean when people are saying, oh, work through your heart. Hmm. Don't uh, be attached to the outcome. 
Okay, Mike came with bad shoulder. What does it mean don't be attached to the outcome? So I'm trying to figure out what is it that they're teaching me? How How is it that what I am doing, how their words apply to what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Because Reiki, yeah, it's a chakra and it could be chakra from chakra, but chakra, I don't speak Sanskrit, so I don't know what chakra is. Energy center. So mm-hmm. to me, it was a simple language. And again, maybe it's because English is my second language, so I didn't get what they were trying to convey well, in their Reiki lessons. is Japanese, yeah. though, right? So. Yes, but again, it's like, hey, the guy 200 years ago found the words to describe what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, it's love, but what about, you know, all oh, for the greater good of everybody in the universe, what do you mean? And so, getting to that source and melting into it mm-hmm. just gave me whole new understanding of what it is to love the universe, to mm. love the world, uh, world. Uh, and uh, and so now I'm going to Peru mm-hmm. to explore my next chapter in life because I think uh, having ayahuasca meditation will propel something. I don't know what it is, my healing abilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy, you know, you just can feel uh, it's uh, going on. But I think there's something is going to be improved. Okay. And the idea is I'm breathing. I'm mm-hmm. not in the casket. So it's never too late. <laughs> it's never too late. Unless you're in the casket. <laughs> yeah, I'm breathing. So I have a class for older people. Mm-hmm. And you look at this older people, one lady came, she couldn't walk. Right. 74 years old, replaced hip, very, very bad knee. She couldn't walk, now she runs. I mean, runs, you know, wait, yeah. But the fact that she can, you know, wobble from leg to leg to leg to leg and run. She can move. She can move. She can get around. Yeah, she said that, hey, I went to Europe and I was able to put put the backpacks uh, on the upper shelf. Wow. Just to be able to pick up the groceries and uh, improve your life. So improvement, like another client, Pat, she said, hey, I couldn't lift. I came in, I couldn't lift five pounds. Now I'm doing it with 40 pounds. Yeah, so not only did you find that it's never too late for yourself and you've made all these different career changes and, and finding your skill as an energy worker, but you see the same older clients that you have that are in their 70s, it's not too late for them to be able to move better and to be able to live in their life better, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I work with some people with some serious, serious conditions. Like one of my clients just passed away recently and she had brain cancer. Mm. And there is a hope and she's breathing. She hopes to improve. I mean, they were flying around around the world trying to treat and finding different kinds of treatments, even though that she was told that this is untreatable and there is a year mm. left to live. She lived three she lived a year and three months. Mm. Uh, I have another lady who has a multiple systems atrophy. So again, she had the brain implant, so the brain is firing because systems atrophy, so nothing works mm. without the, this device in her brain. She, she would die, but there is a hope, so she exercised. She's in a wheelchair, just pulled around, but it's just trying She's to trying. do something. And if you think about max class, adaptive athlete, athletics class, when people come and they don't move, or Jorge, I worked with the guy who was paralyzed for the gunshot, 18 years old. Mm. He's paralyzed. 
And so all of a sudden he lost 60 pounds, he improved himself. And now at 20, he wants to become a physical therapist wow. because he sees how he improved. Mm. And so whatever it is, for some people, improvement, it's for you. It would be squat from 600 pounds to 700 pounds. That's improvement. Or straighten up your arm. Straighten up my arm. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be an improvement. But for some people, is to move their pinky. That's an improvement and they feel it. So right. it's just a different degree of improvement. So it's never too late. It's never, never too late. When you're in a casket, this is it. There is no <laughs> chance you're going to improve any <laughs> circumstances in your life. And I'm talking about either you want to improve your circumstances in terms of job, in terms of the career, in terms of relationship. Mm. And I'm talking improvement of your physical abilities. Right. But... Here it comes second. You have to take yourself into your own hands. Nobody's going to do it Pushkin's for you. Pushkin certainly not. Pushkin is not going to do it for you. <laughs> you have to take care of yourself. That makes sense. It's a, you can put it in English and say, hey, it's a personal responsibility, but I'm from the former Soviet Union, so all these sayings, mm. uh, like one very rough saying that Kelly absolutely loves, yeah, it's like, hey, if you uh, need to take a shit, you'll pull down your pants. And the idea is... You got to do what you have to do. Have it's to do translate, to do. translate into English. You have to do it. Nobody will pee for you. Nobody will poo for you. Nobody will eat for you. Why do you think that anybody will care about you if you don't care about yourself? Mm. And so take yourself into your own hands and it's never too late unless you're in a casket. Awesome. Those are the lessons learned. Thank you, Elena. It was a pleasure talking to you and learning about your story. And thank you for your lessons. Oh, thank you for having me, Mike. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lessons Live podcast. The Lessons Live podcast is part of the Lessons Live project, where our mission is to catalog the lessons of every human being's unique life and disseminate those lessons for humanity's betterment. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. If you have lessons you would share with the world, you can share them now at LessonsLive.com, a platform where you can share your life's lessons and learn from others. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, please send me an email at info at LessonsLive.com and let me know what you would teach the world. Until next time, I wish you well.